Welcome to the first episode ever of Talking Smack. We're talking superheroes, movies, animation, comics. I am your host, Joshua Scar, and with me this week is Alex Lasden. Alex, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. Very excited to be actually be on a podcast that will be heard by more than myself. <laughs> Hopefully. We're hopeful. <laughs> Our theme this week is going to be talking Game of Thrones. We've been a week without it. We've had time to digest. We've had time to consider. We've had time to look into theories that we like and we don't like and formulate our own. We're also going to talk some news, which we're going to dive right into right now. Uh, the very first thing that we had was the Star Wars Rebels Season 4 trailer, which is what I'm most excited about. And it just... I can't wait to see how this show ends. This is the finale of the show. It's been a great ride. Season three was a little bit of a letdown as far as the finale goes for me. The season two finale, if even if you don't watch the show, I recommend that if you watch the two-part finale of that season, it plays as like a great Star Wars movie. I would pay money to see that in a theater. I know you haven't been a big fan of the show, but you do have some opinions. Yeah, I know. I'm, I haven't really watched the show very much. I've kind of peripherally been paying attention because I do like Star Wars and I was a Clone, uh, Clone Wars fan well other than that movie that they released <laughs> um, but I've I just I, I find I'm kind of curious about the strategy of how Disney is rebuilding the universe I don't think I gave Rebels really a solid shot since they kind of dumped the extended universe which yes they should have dumped that the animation style threw me off but I've heard a lot of uh, friends talk about how excited they are that even the inclusion of of characters like Yoda and some touches on Obi-Wan and then of course there's Osaka her return was supposed to be pretty good so I watched the trailer today just because I saw it there and I you know and I wanted to see and I was curious that they actually said finale and like that can't be right but then yeah four seasons it sounds like about what Disney does with their animation and it does look impressive it actually draws me in a little bit and maybe I should actually give it a second go yeah, the, the showrunner Dave Filoni is the guy who also was behind Clone Wars, which is why Clone Wars is actually still canon, is he was able to interweave a lot of that. So Clone Wars technically is still canon, and uh, you get a bunch of callbacks to that, and it's really fun, especially if you've seen and enjoyed Clone Wars. It, it grew on me. Mm -hmm. It wasn't necessarily my favorite Star Wars thing ever, but it definitely grew on me as it became more focused. Um, I know the original plan for Clone Wars was not to be involved with obi-wan and anakin yeah. but then the audience reaction to ahsoka and because she was anakin's padawan it led to a big outcry and a obvious storyline development to just focus on them more and more uh there are some bad episodes there are some good episodes just like any tv show but star wars rebels is a high recommendation for me um if you have the time to see it definitely take the time to watch it if you have a friend that has the blu-rays me <laughs> uh definitely borrow it because it's it's just it's fun, and the, the show was kicked off by Greg Wiseman, the guy who was behind Gargoyles. Oh. Uh, he also did Spectacular Spider-Man and Young Justice, and then he uh, carried over to this, and he only stuck around for one year. He has a really weird thing where he can only do one thing for like two years. I don't know what it is, but I love the guy, but I don't know why his stuff doesn't stick. Rebels kicks off on season four, the final season, kicks off on October 16th, set your DVRs. It's going to be a a crazy ride i i don't know what to expect and that's one of the better things you can hope for from a show is not knowing what to expect especially going into a final season oh i do a uh, question since i'm probably start watching it now um i did know notice well some of my friends pointed out that um rebels was hinted at in um 
Rogue One, that yeah, there, there are some were... inclusions. Is so? Is it before or after? It takes place before okay. uh, Rogue One. There is a call out to Harrison Dula over a microphone or a PA. Hera cool. is the pilot of the Ghost. Mm-hmm. It Rebels has a a family dynamic. You mm-hmm. have Kanan, who is a a fallen Jedi, a Padawan who never really became a Jedi. Uh, he's kind of the dad of the group. Hera is the pilot of the, sh- the Ghost, which is a very unique ship, which you also see in Rogue One. Uh, she's the space mom of the group. Cool. And then you have Ezra, who is the adopted son, I guess, essentially. He's he's your, your breaking in point with the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have Zeb, who's kind of the uncle, and Sabine, who is the sister. And then you have Chopper, who is the cat. <laughs> Those are those the little are, droid guy, right? Yeah, he, those are Dave Filoni. And Chopper is the other part that you see. He like slowly rolls off camera in one shot. like It's a blink and you miss it kind of moment. But yeah, there are some call-outs to it. And it, it's nice to see that they're actually including certain things from the, their new expanded universe into the movies. That's good. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's it for Rebels moving on. Uh, minor news, because, I mean, honestly, who really cares at this point? The Simpsons fired their composer, Alf Clausen. Uh, the producers of the show said they're going in a new direction. They want something in a newer age for a newer age and a newer audience, I guess. I mean, it's The Simpsons. What are you really expecting? What what can you do that's new? Yeah, I read the thing I read read about that is that um, is that Matt Groening or Groening, however you pronounce it. I've heard it's Groening. Groening, okay, Matt Groening, is that he had said, or in the contract somewhere, is that they must record all the music with a 30, full 35 piece orchestra and so he has been the orchestra director this entire time he's been from episode one onward he is the guy who remixed the simpsons theme in season three or four when they changed up a little bit um, of course that's danny elfman who wrote it originally but it has been remixed changed however you want to say it it's just kind of weird that it's a bizarre cost-cutting measure they're firing this longtime composer just so they can get someone slightly cheaper who will then direct a 35 piece orchestra it's yeah a, it's a weird move it, it, it is and we had discussed it earlier it, to me it's going for a new sound and all that after being established for nearly 30 years it would be like south park getting rid of that little country twang that they have in between mm-hmm. scenes um, i know they go away from it when they have their themed episodes but when they're when they're in their south park prime yeah like you can't hear anything but that mm-hmm. I know that's not how it actually is, but <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's just a really weird thing. It's it's a show that's gone on for so long, and Fox is just trying to, you know, run this dry as as a bone, and it just whatever milks a few more episodes, I guess. Exactly, whatever makes them a little more happy. Uh, in other news, we have more Titans casting. They had originally announced that. Tegan Croft was Raven. They announced this a few weeks ago, but that was kind of it, which mm-hmm. uh, the Titans show is a live-action Teen Titans show that will be debuting with DC's streaming service that they'll also be launching with the debut of Young Justice Season 3. The live-action show was actually auction, not auctioned, offered out to like TNT and TBS. Uh, I think the CW was kind of interested in it, but because their Arrowverse doesn't have a Batman that they've at least shown. I think Supergirl has alluded to Batman a couple of times. Uh, other than that, they really haven't done much with Batman in the Arrowverse. So they announced that Tegan Croft is Raven, which she's a short blonde girl, you know, 
Hooray. There you go. And then uh, they also announced that Brenton Thwaites will play Dick Grayson. Uh, Brenton Thwaites can be most recently and most obviously seen in the newest Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales. Yeah, Dead Men Tell No Tales. Dead Man's Chest was the second one. Um, they've made too many of these already, and two of them have Dead Men in the title. Um, I, I think he's a decent choice. He's a good-looking kid. Dick, yeah. Dick, uh, Dick Grayson is supposed to be like this almost godly-looking Adonis of a, of a man. Mm-hmm. So he's a good-looking kid. He can pull off Dick Grayson, I think. I don't know how good of an actor he is, but it's a streaming TV show. So, I mean, how good can the acting truly necessarily have to be? I don't really have an opinion on the casting of it just because I like saw him and I went, oh, yeah, he looks vaguely familiar. And then it's like, oh, yeah, he's from that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then I had to remind myself that he's not the same kid as the love interest that was from the fourth one, um, whichever that one is, Pirate's Revenge or whatever. Um, on Stranger Tides. There you go, on Stranger Tides. And so it was like trying to just correlate in my mind, is he the same guy? No, he's not the same guy, but everybody looks the same in that universe when they just rub mud on you and be like, you're the lead, please seduce this lady. You're the new uh, <laughs> Orlando Bloom. Basically. And, so. and then they also announced that Anna Diop, I'm assuming her name is pronounced Diop, it could be Jop, D-I-O-P, but I'm going to go with Diop because I'm American and I pronounce things as I see them. <laughs> uh, she's going to be Starfire. The casting is interesting because she is an African-American actress and she's going to be dressed up in orange skin or they're maybe going to do kind of like a John Jones sort of thing that they do with Supergirl where she can transform it when she's using her powers. She's a very pretty girl. Starfire is supposed to be pretty. Um, I don't know much about her acting chops. So that's, I mean, it's, it's fun that we're getting a live action Titan show. So I can't complain too much. No, um, this far I've been just um, paying attention because I, I'm one of those sinners who actually likes teen Titans go a lot and just, We'll just put it on because it just makes me giggle. I am aware that there was the Young Titans and other stuff, and I, I've seen some of their episodes. But this far, I'm just impressed that they're casting people who look like they would be Young Titans versus obvious 30-somethings who will pretend to be Young Titans. Yeah, and it seems like the show is actually supposed to be after they've been established. It's not really supposed to be an origin of the Titans. It's okay. uh, from the original synopsis that was released when it was being worked on at TBS – uh, Dick Grayson will start off the ep- the first episode as Robin, and then he will move on to become Nightwing by the end of like the first or second episode. Okay, that's interesting. So uh, it's it's obviously about them growing and moving on as a team and as individuals. So I, again, I'm excited for it. And it, as immature as it sounds, I love me some Dick Grayson. <laughs> uh, Dick Grayson is my favorite DC character, and I can't wait to see him make a better debut than what Chris O'Donnell did for him in Batman Forever, which. I will maintain that they are not as bad as people think they are. If you take them as at their campy level, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin are at least fun. They're not the best Batman movies, but they're fun. You just reminded me. I, I was about to make the comment like, well, you know, we've never had a live-action Dick Grayson, and then you just reminded me of Batman. That's how forgettable <laughs> Forever and Batman and Robin. <laughs> well, uh, I think it was Mar- Marlon or Damon Wayans. I I wish I could remember, but Tim Burton actually had a costume ready to go for one of the Wayans brothers to be Dick Grayson. Marlon. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that would have been cool, but I, the concept 
from what I've read is just ridiculous, and I wish I could remember it right now, but I can't. The only thing I remember about that is why I remember that casting is that they actually had to pay a penalty fee to him and a penalty fee to, oh man, Lando Carrissian. I forget his actor. Billy D. Williams. Billy D. Williams, thank you. They had to pay penalty fees to both of them because they had already signed the contracts with Tim Burton to be Two-Face and to be Dick Grayson, respectively. So I think they're paid each like around five million ish, if that's the rumor is true, to go away to <laughs> then get Tommy Lee Jones and Chris O'Donnell. <laughs> uh, that's some great casting right there. <laughs> so our first big topic is James Cameron's comments about Wonder Woman being a step back for women movies. Um, his, I'm going to read his quote here. All of the self-congratulatory back-padding Hollywood's been doing over Wonder Woman has been so misguided. She's an objectified icon, and it's just male Hollywood doing the same old thing. It's not saying I didn't—I'm not saying I didn't like the movie, but to me, it's a step backwards. Sarah Connor was not a beauty icon. She was strong, she was troubled, she was a terrible mother, and she earned the respect of the audience through her pure grit. And to me, the benefit of characters like Sarah is so obvious. I mean, uh, (laughs) why would you put that in your quote from the press? (laughs) You don't need the I mean. And to me, the benefit of characters like Sarah is so obvious. I mean, half the audience is female. You and I are differing opinions necessarily on how good Wonder Woman was. I don't necessarily disagree with his comments because you and I do agree that there are some cinematography things that definitely didn't need to be there that are continuing to be there. So I'm going to let you start with your point. Okay, so to put it into context from what I was looking at is that he's promoting currently the T2, uh, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. 3D uh, release. 3D release, which I think came out last week or the week before. I think it came out this weekend. Did it come out this week? Okay. Um, I haven't seen a showing for it, unfortunately. Well, mostly because I own the Blu-rays and the extended editions, so I don't really need a bit of token 3D. Um, I want to pay $15 to go see a movie I own exactly. that I can watch in my own home. Um, so I understand the context is that he was he's out doing press for that because he spent a lot of his own money doing that, uh, converting it himself, which bravo to him for doing that. But um, so I understand where he's coming from, that he believes it's a step backwards. There's a lot of self-congratulation. I do see a lot of stuff going on, on banging about, about, you know, I saw a thing today, Warner Brothers currently leading the summer box office, all due to Wonder Woman. Um, and they also have another set of movies that were successful. But the part of the, the objectification that I understand that I completely agree with is that the trailers for Wonder Woman and Justice League and the movie do... Well, they sex her up. There's a lot of uh, sh- uh, there's a lot of shots of her upskirt with her doing that slide kick thing she does to seemingly everybody. There's in super a, slow motion. In super slow motion, so you see apparently she's wearing leather underwear. Um, there's that shot where that uh, really bothered me. Where I believe is the first Justice League trailer where it showed her like kicking somebody's butt. And then she got knocked down and Superman saves her and the camera is like right between her legs and he like lands and beats up a guy to knock her away. Like, why would you need, Wonder Woman really need saving? And there's also the part that bothers me is that all the Amazons are in high heels and boob armor. And so I kind of agree with his statement that it's a bit of a step backwards because we have a very strong woman character I'm not saying there haven't been other strong woman characters it's been a very it's the highest grossing movie in the US this year until Star Wars until Star Wars of course 
I, my personal thing is I don't agree with all the people attacking him. Saying, like, you're old, you, you're a terrible... I've seen the comments, you're a terrible husband, you've been divorced three times, what are you talking about? You've uh, Linda Hamilton said that you're the worst man she's ever met in her life. She's his next wife, of course she's going to say that. <laughs> but I don't know, I just... I. I just don't understand all the hate, over, all the sudden aggression against him for... It's true, he did point out. She's been objectified in all the trailers. The movie did it too. Okay. I understand. Move on. <laughs> uh, I, I don't disagree on a lot of those points. The upskirt shots in slow motion annoy me, largely because it seems like Gal Gadot just like mastered that move and they're like we're just gonna keep doing that mm -hmm. and it just seems it's tired after seeing it in the trailers a hundred times because of how often we saw the the tv spots and all that using that same shot mm -hmm. and when we got to that point in the movie i was like oh here comes the upskirt shot i don't mind that because again part of it is you have a a, a woman director who is the one signing off in these shots and you also have the fact that if gal gadot likes the shot why can't we um i yeah. mean People are gonna, people are gonna objectify it no matter what. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's a double-edged sword when it comes to uh, equality with women. You know, people don't want them objectified, but if you're a sexy woman and you're comfortable with yourself, you should be allowed to do, flaunt what you want. And if Gal Gadot wants to flaunt that because she mastered that move, more power to her. Um, the boob armor, I'm, I'm definitely behind. I don't think the boob armor needed to be as prominent as it was like you could just have a little bump it doesn't yeah. have to be both and it doesn't have to be as like prominently separated but uh i think part of the justification for that is it that wasn't actually made for diana she kind of stole that armor but then you also have the amazonian armor where everybody everybody kind of has, has it, it yeah. uh, but the wonder woman costume uh i mean technically it wasn't made for diana so you can yeah. get it you can get around it that way right um but you also have to take into account that the suit was actually originally signed off for by Zack Snyder, who is not known for his... Subtlety. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, there, there's a lot of give and take. I, I enjoyed the hell out of Wonder Woman. It didn't really break any new ground as far as storytelling goes, but it did show that audiences are willing to go to a movie with a woman lead and enjoy the hell out of it as long as you treat it well and with respect. James Cameron and his comments, again, they're not necessarily wrong, but I think him kind of going back to his own well, saying, like, look what I did with Sarah Connor, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Because you could go and take almost any other woman lead in a successful movie and be like, hey, look at this person. Right. But he went to his own, his own character well, and it just – that's where it kind of went off the rails for me. He just – he just came off as more so, egotistical. Well, he, he, he immediately did what he was ripping them on for. He was self-congratulating himself. He's like, this movie didn't break any new ground. Hollywood is just patting itself on the back. Look I broke I new did. ground. <laughs> Let me pat myself on exactly. the back. Exactly. You know? So, I mean, I understand that. I, I just saw so many like people coming after him and ripping him and talking about his marriage and stuff. I'm like, and I was really upset because answer you know provide a, a rebuttal versus a personal attack like point out where he objectified sarah connor or where he objectified ripley or where well i mean uh, ripley or, he she's walking around in her underwear for 
almost 20 minutes of the movie. Was that Alien? Oh, that was Alien. Alien. Yeah, that was Alien. That's right, yeah. yeah. I believe Alien, yeah. Alien was Ridley Scott. Aliens was his. Yeah. I believe it was But he Alien. also didn't create Ripley, so, I mean, he could have gone to Ripley. Well, he could have gone to Ripley, yeah. Or, I mean, then again, if he wants to try to congratulate himself, he could mention, you know, True Lies, except there's that entire stripper scene. <laughs> or Titanic, except there's that entire nude scene. So <laughs> That he drew himself. That he drew himself, which is a little creepy when you think about it. <laughs> um, He's an auteur Michael Bay. <laughs> Oh, don't he, put him down. He just knows how to. He knows how to make a good movie, but he also knows that he's doing what he does best, and it like and he just puts himself in there. Like I've seen people talk about how Jack Dawson is very close to James Cameron as far as phonetically and uh, as far as many syllables and all that. Mm. So you know he's like inserting yeah. himself there subliminally, subliminally, yeah. just like Michael Bay did with Michaela. I think her name was Michaela Bayless or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Shia LaBeouf's girlfriend in the first two Transformers movies. You know, it wasn't just enough to make her a sex toy. He also had to name her after himself. Again, creepy when you think about <laughs> it. I'm going to make the lead's girlfriend me. Yep. And then direct Because it. she's so sexy, just like me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> Michael Bay's a weird dude. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's make of it what you will. People enjoyed Wonder Woman. People didn't think it was anything new. The internet community thinks it's Captain America, the first Avenger. Uh, I can see the similarities, but I Captain America is my favorite Marvel character, and I can yeah. definitely differentiate the two. There are similarities, but just because there are similarities doesn't mean it's the same. No, I, I think it was different enough on its own to stand on its own i just don't think it was necessarily that great and personally i've never been happy with the casting of gal gadot just because when i picture wonder woman i don't necessarily picture someone not you know not to shame her or anything someone as slight as her she's um, and especially when they're putting her next to like batman and superman and it's like well you know well she's a god she doesn't need massive muscles why does Superman need massive muscles? <laughs> you know, he literally is a god too. And um, I, I, I think she she did enough to carry the film, and I think they paired her very well with a very charismatic actor who helped carry the film as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I am curious of what the next one is, is going to be about. I understand they're skipping World War Two. I heard they I heard they're either going to do 1977 as kind of like an homage year with mm-hmm. Linda Carter. Or they're jumping into the 80s. I forget exactly what, but I think they're going to do something to homage Linda Carter in that one. Okay, that'd be cool. Um, but yeah, it, when they're, when Wonder Woman 2 comes out, if they don't retcon it or reboot it with Flashpoint, it's going to be fine. It'll be good. Patty Jenkins is pretty much guaranteed to come back. She's holding out because she wants more money, which is fine, because she's holding out to get paid what a director who had, a male director who mm-hmm. had just made a huge box office hit would get offered for doing a sequel she doesn't want oh well you made this much we're going to give you this much of a percentage increase right. she wants what's fair and i i applaud her for that no i think she um i am kind of curious as to what her thor 2 would have been like i've heard there's some you know there's been all the rumors leaking out about how her script was better than what they filmed which honestly with what we got <laughs> it's not anything would have been better than what we got because um, you can tell that there's some massive shears were taken to that film. Why would you cast uh, Christopher Eccleston 
as your villain and give him 30 seconds of screen time why would you suddenly pat out all that earth stuff so what i actually i really am curious as to what her version of thor 2 would have been and i think she did enough with wonder woman to showcase that there's a style that there's a style and a story she can tell that she should be given the money to, to go off and write her own well write her own paycheck with wonder woman too i do want to see what she has to do i just hope that the fight choreographers and was it directors of photography or whoever is the one putting the camera on the ground all the time that whenever gal gadot is within six inches needs to stop that <laughs> yeah the the Zack snyder's slow motion stuff didn't bother me that much because i feel like it was meant to show how quickly the amazons move yeah and i i appreciated that as far as someone watching this person on screen for the first time mm -hmm. But there, there are other ways to do that after you do it the first couple of times. Yeah. You don't have to keep going back to it. And I think that kind of – it showed a lot of Zack Snyder's hand in it by doing all those slow motion shots, yeah. which I'm not that opposed to. I'm not as annoyed as it as other people are, but it gets old. It does. And especially when you're expecting it and you see it in the trailers. Mm -hmm. When you see it in the trailers as often as we did, especially that one upskirt shot that we've been talking about, it just – it loses its luster and it loses its value. Yeah. Make of it what you will. We both, as far as I can tell, enjoyed Wonder Woman. It's just... Yeah, and there's no reason to personally attack a guy for offering his opinion. Yeah, especially when he was asked for it. It's not like he went was running around with a sign saying, I made better heroes. In lighter <laughs> conversation, <laughs> um, you had told me about the new live-action Tick show on Amazon. Yes. Uh, it made the unfortunate decision to come out the same weekend as the Defenders and has kind of gotten lost in the fray. Yeah, unfortunately. I don't know if that's just an, uh, an Amazon Prime thing that people are like, oh, pay attention to Netflix. Prime also did this over here. Yeah, last season, uh, last year, part of the Amazon's pilot season, which I believe also included uh, Jean-Claude Van, uh, Van Johnson, which is Jean-Claude Van Damme's like spoof about him, that he's secretly a secret agent which if you haven't seen that pilot you should watch it but they also brought back the tick and it was a the pilot was a little rough um i wasn't sure if the tick was supposed to be part of arthur's um psychosis or however they were trying to treat him but i got a chance to earlier this week what well earlier this week watch all six episodes they offered us which was the pilot plus five more there's six more coming sometime i think in the spring and i was pleasantly surprised that they actually were given the creative license to run out and actually give us a proper tick show which i really liked i literally watched them this morning um, i didn't get through all of them i got through the first two episodes before the kid woke up and then we watched another one when she took her nap and then we watched the fourth one later in the in the day after we were done doing our morning errands and the pilot episode was actually really good because I've seen the trailers. Mm -hmm. it, like, the ads have popped up on YouTube and all that. And I know the tick is real. <laughs> I know it is. But throughout the first episode, I'm just sitting there thinking, is Arthur crazy? Is this mm -hmm. show just one big delusion? What's going on here? And it's it does it really well. And I was surprised at how well they told that story until, I think, either by the end of the second episode or the beginning of the third, you find out that Arthur is not actually crazy. Right, right. And it's it's just, it's surprisingly well done. That's the uh, reveal with Dot, right? His yes. sister, yeah. Uh, Arthur, <laughs> Arthur's walking around in a blue poncho in his moth suit, 
and he's realizing that everyone's talking about this guy in a blue suit <laughs> or the guy in blue and he's just realizing i'm the guy in blue oh no what am i doing and right. dot tick walks up beside him and dot's just who's arthur who's that oh that you can see him <laughs> hey i'm the tick yeah and the the guy who plays the tick uh peter serafinowitz um, he's not a very well-known actor. He's a mm -hmm. British actor. He had a, I know you didn't watch Parks and Rec. He did a small guest spot in one of the later seasons where Chris Pratt's character and Adam Scott's character go to London to ask for funds for one of their charities. Mm -hmm. And he plays this really kind of oafish, rich duke. And he's mm -hmm. just like, I have five helicopters that I have no idea what to do with. Oh, and by <laughs> the way, I have these drones. Let's go play with them. Nice. And uh, he just... His character hits it off with Chris Pratt's character because they're both just these lovable oafs. And he's just like, I'll give you guys the money. No worries. I don't know if that's his actual voice. I assume it is when he's talking as the tick. He, he's he got the voice. No, he, he's nailed that. Um, I was afraid it was he was going to be a bad knockoff of uh, Patrick Warburton because he, there's just something about his style of comedy, whether Patrick Warburton was doing um, – was doing Putty from Seinfeld, or whether he was, whether he's doing the Tick, or whether he's Joe, or whether he is Kronk um, from Emperor's New Groove, and then the TV show and Kronk's New Groove. Mm -hmm. There's something about his voice works with the styling that just really sold it for the brief, brief nine episodes we had with the Tick, and then of course the suit. Of course, you can't do much about the suit. The suit has to look like a certain way, but he within about. I don't know, five, ten minutes of just seeing him on screen and he's over exuberance of wanting to be a good guy and completely misunderstanding everything Arthur is telling him <laughs> that he wants to be left alone, you know. <laughs> he just sold it for me and I'm assuming that is his real voice. And Yeah, he, it, it, there's some moments where you can tell it's ADR mm -hmm. and uh, but like he he has that commanding tick voice and it's great and he has that sincerity behind it too mm -hmm. um, it, but yeah you, you, if you were to try and pull off a uh, Warburton you're not going to do it no. uh, the only person that can pull off Warburton is um, uh, the voice actor what's his name I'm blanking Troy Baker no. Troy Baker does an amazing Patrick Warburton I'm going to have to look that it, up it, it, if you haven't seen it look up Twisted Tunes on YouTube and watch some of their stuff and Troy Baker does an amazing Patrick Warburton it's great um, he also does an amazing Joker he was the Joker on Batman Arkham Origins um, so he he Pat, Troy Baker has some some chops but yeah Patrick Warburton he does have that voice that just whatever he does it, it just works with what he gets cast in mm -hmm. Peter Serafinowicz I'm not using my <laughs> my notes to look at this so Serafinowicz I've been practicing it all day Peter Peter Serafinowicz, uh, yeah, he. I don't know. I think he is that tall, or they mm -hmm. they've done some like camera tricks to make him look a little bit taller. But the the suit looks fine. There's a great moment. Um, my wife picked up on it from the pilot to the second episode because obviously they didn't know if they were getting a second episode right. after filming. The suit looks a little different, mm -hmm. and uh, Arthur and the ticker in a, in an alley, and Arthur just gives him a quick up and down. And he just goes, "Your suit, it looks a little different." And Tick goes, "Really." <laughs> and that's it. That's all they do. It, it, there, and it, like, there's some great laugh out loud moments in this show, and it it's surprising that it's not getting talked about as much. Maybe it's because it's suffering from only having six episodes. Uh, I don't know, but yeah, I mean, I wasn't going in expecting much because I didn't watch the Tick 
as a kid. I, I was all about Power Rangers on Fox, and then I would move over to one Saturday morning on ABC. Yeah, I I was not expecting a whole lot other than I just remember watching those nine episodes and watching some of the cartoon. I didn't, I've never read any of the comics. I don't know if the comic style is supposed to be ultra graphic or just ultra satire. Yeah, that was surprising too. But the TV show was surprised me that it was super graphic because there's a, um, a scene where Overkill shows up and he starts slaughtering all these people to get um, to either get or assist Arthur. You're not sure if he's trying to kill him or not. And all of a sudden, limbs are flying. There's blood spraying. Like, they already dropped a curse word or two before, you know, the, the, the F-bomb and stuff. It's like, okay, well, you know, it, it, it's, it's an adult show. Sure, that's fine. Whatever, TVMA. And then all of a sudden, there's limbs and blood and gore. And I'm like, or it's just definitely R. <laughs> it, it became 300 very quickly. Yeah. Like, I, I, was, I was thinking, oh, okay, you, you get a shit at the very beginning of the show when yeah. Superion shows up. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, PG to PG-13, whatever, that's fine. Uh, and then you get an F-bomb in a limousine a mm-hmm. little later. And you're like, okay, I mean, that's still kind of PG-13. They're allowed one. And then you get to the end of that episode, and Overkill just goes full-on 300 Spartan on someone. Yep. And it, the blood is obviously intentionally fake. It's not like they're going for graphic realism. And it, But yeah, it was a little sudden. You're, you're not expecting it. It works. It works for the show because, again, they're not trying to be hyper-violent. They're just using it as an effect. Yeah, I think it works because they've left the tick as his naive man child overpowered um personality type he you know he'll get punched in the face or get blown to into a wall or through a wall or something and he'll just kind of chuckle and be like oh that was great you know <laughs> and you're laughing along with him and then they show i the you know then the bad guys are really bad guys they're killing people massacring people their plans to get back the suit from um they want basically the beginning the first six episodes are about um, the tick running into Arthur, ending up Arthur ends up with the suit, and then the bad guys want to get the suit back, but they can't quite get it back right because Arthur has, in theory, already bonded with it in some manner mm-hmm. um, because of a of a retina reading. He was the first person to put it on, so he gets it, um, and so it's just the tick trying to ingrain him, uh, ingrain himself into Arthur's life, believing that Arthur's his best friend ever, and then Arthur trying to get rid of the tick, but then the bad guys want him and hilarity and. A lot of blood and suits. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very much Arthur Begins, yeah. and it, it does it very well. And I again, I'm not familiar with the cartoon or the comic, uh, but it definitely has its own life, as far as I can tell. And the only thing that I really want anything extra out of this is I want Batman well. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff going on in the background, and they talk about very large man VLM, I think. Yep. And uh, he shows up at one point. And there's there's a bunch of stuff going on in the background that I'm sure is alluding to more stuff within the Tick lore, uh, but I just want Batman well. Yeah. <laughs> I just I love the idea of that character and the ripoff of it. Yeah, they I hope they're heading that way because uh, at one point they mentioned there's like a superhero register, um, and which is used to great effect when uh, Arthur tries to lie his way out of a police station, <laughs> and you kind of they've been hinting that there's other beings out there. But for some reason, they're not showing up at the moment, probably because the, the Tick and Arthur are just not on anybody's radar. We have six more episodes coming in spring, and I'm hoping they get here soon, and hopefully more people keep watching this, because 
Amazon needs some shows that I actually really want to watch. <laughs> yeah, I think that's part of it is Amazon, it, it's a complimentary service if you're on Prime, essentially. Amazon yeah. Video is a, is a nice service, but you have to pay 100 bucks to be able to access it. Mm-hmm. Unless you're a student, then you get it for 50 or you can be on a monthly plan and pay basically 120 bucks a year. Right. So I, I think that kind of hurts the tick in a way, but Amazon has a good track record for good shows. The Man in the, the High, High Castle. Castle. Yeah. I was going to say The Man in the Sky. That was obviously <laughs> not right. Uh, and then they've got um, the Jeffrey Tambor transgender show. Um, oh, Transparent. Transparent, yeah. Um, I've heard Mozart in the Jungle is really good. I have a few friends who readily recommended that to me. I just... I don't know if it's just being lazy or whatever, but when I pull up my, when I um, pull up my PS4 and you know I get my media display, it's like Netflix, Amazon, Hulu. It's on Netflix. Yeah, <laughs> it's the default. It's it's become ingrained in us. But yeah, yeah. If, if you have Prime, uh, or if you have ten bucks to throw away that you're not planning on sending to the Houston Relief Fund, um, it, it, give it a try. It's I'd say for ten bucks, it's worth at least watching the tick. Uh, and at least a few other shows that they have on there. They just uploaded the full run of Avatar, The Last Airbender, plus mm-hmm. they have Legend of Korra. Two great shows, in my opinion. Um, some of the best animation shows that I've ever seen. So if for nothing else, 10 bucks a month um, mm-hmm. for something like that is pretty great. Uh, but yeah, The Tick is definitely worth checking out, I would say. I think not being on Netflix or Hulu kind of hurts it. But if you have Prime, watch it, enjoy it. It's fun. Even if you don't know anything about the show, like I said, I, ha- I have no attachment to the characters until now. Like, th- <laughs> this show has made me care about these characters, and I really kind of want to find a way to watch the, the old box shows just to see what the difference was. Yeah, Nothing watch else? the tick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... That was a fun segment talking about the tick. Now it's time to move on to the worst first show ever topic. Game of Thrones a week after it ended. Uh, it's it's the most, well, I shouldn't say ended. The season ended. Right. It's the most watched episode on HBO. I think maybe, did it break the TV record as far as TV shows that aren't the Super Bowl? Uh, they... They always play with their numbers. They said it. They said that episode got like thirty million people, which would make it the most watched show of the year, I believe, other than the Super Bowl. Um, who knows how accurate that number is? Uh, because HBO does their own fuzzy accounting, you know, as all TV shows these <laughs> and days. They also do. have their own fuzzy links or yeah. leaks. Yeah, um, I do. I believe it did reach sixteen million. They said watch that night, and they said over the week. I think they said thirty million watched it. As on some re-airing because they count first viewership re-airings across the entire week um, so I mean if you were trying to watch something else on HBO and you saw five minutes of it I believe they count towards watching Game of Thrones <laughs> not that a bunch of people not, aren't watching it not even it. 10% of the episode we'll count it yeah not saying that you know people are watching people are certainly watching um, why at this point in time people are watching I'm not exactly sure but what can we do about that so this season was not without its flaws. No. Uh, <laughs> you suck so happy. No. 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 It had its flaws. No. <laughs> it, it did a lot to just progress the story. I yeah. don't really know why they didn't, they couldn't do 10 episodes outside of, you know, the budget of including the dragons. Um, I don't know why they couldn't just slow things down a little bit to 10. 
they they did there was a lot of story elements that just kind of got pushed to the wayside because they're trying to get to the end yeah and you can tell they're racing to that end um the very first episode we had was dragonstone it started off very strong it started with Arya magically appearing and uh Oh, the frayed dinner scene. Yeah, yeah murdering so all the frays in the same place that the the red wedding happened. Which I, I guess we should have we should have said spoiler alert for Game of Thrones season seven. If you haven't seen all of this season, we're pretty much going to break down the entire season. So yep. um, be prepared to be spoiled if you haven't seen it. So yeah, Arya kills all the frays um, except for one of Walder Frey's wives, and he tells her the North rem- tell everyone that the North remembers. Right. And then she kind of goes off on her excursion, planning on going to King's Landing to go kill Cersei. Yep. And then we kind of don't see her the rest of the episode. For like three episodes? Something, something like that. Well, no, she talks to Ed Shrian. Right. Oh, uh, very awkwardly. Oh, yeah, yeah. She, she briefly meets Hot Pie. She briefly sees her wolf. And Which the Hot Pie meeting at least served some sort of storytelling purpose. He was like, oh, hey, by the way, did you, realize, did you know that John's in charge of the North now? Yeah, that was very awkward. That that scene was very awkward because that was the one moment that I actually bought into that weird fan theory that she's actually the waif, because that interaction was so awkward. I'm not sure if they were trying to just portray it as she's been gone so long that she doesn't remember how to interact with mm-hmm. with old friends, or that they just honestly did not remember how to write dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> that scene. Either one is very possible. Yeah. I still think she could be the wave, which if she is, that is fantastic. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, we have that. And then John secures loyalties from the Umbers and the Starks, mm-hmm. which I thought that was actually a really great scene where Sansa's like, you need to teach them a lesson and kill their line. Mm-hmm. And John's like, I'm not going to I'm not going to have the children suffer for the sins of their fathers. Yeah. And I thought that was a great scene. And it showed the the dichotomy between what Sansa has learned from Cersei and how she has become a little more ruthless because of what she's endured, where John is still very much John, uh, Ned Stark's illegitimate son. I guess we should say adopted son, given what we know now. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, they the, the few times that they've actually taken to let there be character development was really nice. But they barreled through stuff like so quickly, you know. It's just yeah, they, they, they just clash heads. Like John's John's uh, John's the head of the North now. Sansa's upset about that. Little fingers lurking in the background, going good, good, <laughs> you know. Which I believe that is when we got that great line from um, Sansa, who little finger lurked up on her, and she went, "I'll pretend you said something witty." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Oh, that's a good burn." <laughs> There's just. But they, they did go through so much. Like, we, we had Jorah teased in the first episode um, before, uh, after he was sent off by Daenerys to be cured of his grayscale. Um, you had Cersei, who was approached by Euron Greyjoy, which him and his magic map-traveling fleet, it just, th- that was probably the biggest pain in the ass of this season was, I make the joke with you constantly, that yeah. they... They travel by map, which if you don't know the joke, um, that's how the Muppets get around. Mm-hmm. Is they're like, oh man, how are we supposed to get fr- to France? We don't have any money for an airplane ticket. We'll travel by map. And then they come <laughs> out of the, they, they do the Indiana Jones thing where they just have the red line go from New York to France. And like, hey, that was fast. 
Um, and I, I think that's how uh, Euron Greyjoy travels with his fleet. Is yeah. he just he he's figured out how to travel by map. That's the only way to explain it. Because yeah, there there's some there's some logistical problems there. Uh, he got from the Iron Islands to King's Landing to Casterly Rock, back to King's Landing, and then he ended up where after that? I'm blanking. Well, there was. Well, the Casterly Rock was the second travel by map. That's per, right. The first one is that he went from the Iron Islands, met, met Cersei and Jamie, had the brief interaction, which that I actually honestly kind of like um, Euron. I, I find him amusing just because he seems like the only person on that show who's actually having a good time. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like everyone else is like, we've been doing this stuff for seven years and wearing this ridiculous stuff and we have lines to fill. And he's like, I'm happy to be here, everybody. <laughs> I'm wearing eyeliner. Look at how different I am. I've fantastic. seen things. This is fantastic. I'm now going to go hop on my boat. <laughs> I'm the only one who has a boat consistently. You guys don't have boats. I actually really like that. But the first time was he said, you know, she's like, I'm not going to marry you. And he's like, well, what if I bring you a present? And then he sacks an entire fleet out of out near Dragonstone um, and brings back um, the Dornish lady and Yara. That yeah. was the first quick travel, which he somehow snuck up on all the all of Dan, uh, Daenerys's fleet and Yara's fleet from behind, <laughs> I guess. They don't have a crow's nest and sack them and then came back and was like, here you go. And then there was the magical Casterly Rock travel, which doesn't yeah. make sense. And that the Casterly Rock thing was actually a really nice growth moment for Jamie, where he they, they even let him say, I learned something from my defeat to Rob Stark, where mm -hmm. he abandoned one post or had like minimal forces there and just went and did another thing where they took Highgarden. Mm -hmm. And um, that was a great move by Cersei, too. Yes. Um, I don't know if those are th that seems too smart to not be something from George R.R. R. Martin's notes. Mm -hmm. um, so that's probably going to be in the book, because, again, you can tell when the writers are writing. And when they're taking, they're writing from the notes. Yes. Uh, they're they're a little too kitschy in certain things, which in a few moments that we'll discuss a little later on, they work. Yep. But uh, for the most part, it you can tell when the writers are kind of on their own and things just kind of magically happen or they don't seem to make a lot of sense. Uh, but the High Garden moment where the the crown is bankrupt, King's Landing has no money; they're in massive debt. And Cersei just says, I'll have your money in two weeks. Oh, the Iron Bank showed up. Yeah, right. the Iron Bank, because she's trying to get them to fund her for her war against Daenerys as it's coming up. Right. She wants the, um, she needs to pay off the loans that were, I believe she inherited those loans from Robert Baratheon, who mm -hmm. had all those loans. But then those are also loans that I believe Littlefinger had taken without them knowing. Yeah. Yeah. As the uh, master of coin. Because he's had to take loans because Robert wouldn't stop spending. And while he was... They always say Littlefinger was great at making money. He wasn't able to make enough money. Uh, Tyrion, I believe, when he was the hand briefly uh, showed up, said that. So that storyline is paying off. Um, so she wants the money to pay back the Iron Bank. Otherwise, the Iron Bank has its military. And then she wants to pay it off and then take out a new loan to uh, get the gold company, which is a bunch of sellswords. Yep. And uh, kind of going backtracking to the first episode... Uh, there's a lot of good stuff that happens in that episode, mm -hmm. but the very end, the final like three minutes are so drawn out of Daenerys returning to Dragonstone. No. I, I say returning with air quotes because she's never actually been there. Right. And it it just, you just know how it's going to end. You just, mm -hmm. you 
you feel it in your cliche gut. Mm-hmm. And she gets to the table where their their war table where they strategize and have their their plans, and she just goes, "Shall we begin?" And all I the first thing that pops into my head is Benedict Cumberbatch's Khan. Now, <laughs> shall we begin? <laughs> Oh. And I'm just like, you couldn't have chosen a more cliche thing to say in that moment. Right. And you're like, writers got to write. Well, the part that bothered me about that is that, so Dragonstone is across the, according to the map, it's across the bay from King's Landing. It's attached, attached to this peninsula that's, you know, I don't know how far it was, 25 miles, 100 miles, whatever it is. It's right over there. And I understand that's where Robert was. I'm uh, not Robert. Um, that's where Stannis was. Mm-hmm. And you, they have a great brief they have a brief allusion to that where you see one of his banners with the uh the stag and the heart mm-hmm. uh sitting in one of the the hallways which i thought that was a nice little touch yeah but no one's been in there since but why i mean it's a military stronghold why wouldn't there at least be some kind of watchers or some kind of guarding or a small garrison some kind of presence they could have shown like three ships and a dude uh leaning you know leaning against the tower going oh maybe we should run instead it just seems like this entire majestic castle stronghold has been abandoned, even though it's a strategic military point for the entire Bay and King's Landing. That's the part that bothered me about that. The Lannisters well, have been too busy trying to figure out who's king next. <laughs> They've had three kings in like three years, and now Cersei's queen. Yeah. Well, maybe they ran out of funds for that. <laughs> there we go. There's the, there's the explanation. They ran out of funds to guard that. Or maybe they don't realize Stannis is dead since we never saw his body. <laughs> true and then uh, sam had some fun adventures in the uh, in the citadel at old town um Grace. yeah scooping out some poop and changing out sick beds and yeah transitions he, shots of gross to I, food I, to gross to pus to, oh. yeah i get what they were going for that, that sam was literally getting the shit jobs but <laughs> It didn't need to go on that long. You could have done that in two sequences and like, okay, Sam's Sam's not doing what he was hoping to be doing. Right. And he gets a, a jump scare from Jorah mm-hmm. and the interactions between him and um, the, ha- the high maester that he works for, works with, that's training him is, uh, the interactions they have is great, are great. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes me a little sad that there was no real growth there. It was just constantly the the teacher doesn't listen to the pupil right. when it comes to the important stuff. And they're just like, oh, he's delusional. It's fine. Yeah, no, that, some of his interactions are good. And it does kind of lean credit uh, to the theory that the there's a theory from the books as well as I would think people kind of accept it for a show, which is that the maesters have way more knowledge than than anyone knows. And they just don't want to share it. Or they just don't care enough to. <laughs> so, I mean, so some of that interaction of, like, you know, Sam really wants to learn. He wants to take care of Gilly. He wants to take care of the kid. But and he's, like, looking through books, wants to assist, and the maesters are all, um, that chamber pot's not clean enough. <laughs> yeah. It kind of gives credit to some of that. And Sam also gets credit for curing Sir Jorah. Mm-hmm. He goes through a, a very painful to watch and probably painful to feel yeah. procedure of uh, apparently having to cut off all of the grayscale and then having to like suck out whatever pus is underneath as well um it is a very <laughs> a no, very no, 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 no. 
not for the faint of heart scene to watch. Um, no. When they were just sitting sitting on Jorah's face, I honestly had to chuckle a little bit just because I couldn't tell if the actor was acting for pain <laughs> or if he just got to a point where he's just kind of like chuckling to himself, mm-hmm. trying to figure out like, how do I act like I'm in pain? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, it's something that you can only imagine how painful that sort of thing actually is though. Right. So you don't know how you actually would react to that kind of pain. Uh, but he he gets cured and he goes off to see Danny and uh, he and Sam have a nice farewell. And then Sam gets probably the best recognition he probably could have expected from the Maesters where he was told not to do anything about Ser Jorah because he was going to lose his mind in about six months. The Grayscale would take him over in about th- six weeks. Yep. And then Sam's like, I'm going to save you because I knew your dad. And... It just, it's it creates a nice symmetry between everyone, and then the the, the headmaster that's training him is like you you tra- you you cured him. How did you do that? I followed the instructions. <laughs> what <laughs> said every man watching the show ever? How, how do you follow the instructions and do it right? That's not how it works. <laughs> and it is is a really great moment, and I I appreciated that the maester actually said nice job mm-hmm. now here's your punishment you have to go transcribe all of these journals that are <laughs> rotting and sam's like what yeah the only thing i wish would have been a little bit more of that scene is that the maesters would have been like something along the lines of like good now do it for everyone else too you know kind of like you know send them off like mm-hmm. well well damn there's a cure mm-hmm. all right let's get this word out or let's let's you know let's do the scientific principle of let's try it on another person Instead, it was just kind of like, that's pretty awesome. Now you're going to be punished. Yeah, <laughs> it, it definitely just kind of leaves it to the wayside. But, I mean, yeah. like we've, we've already said a couple of times now, they, they were just trying to move on. Yeah. They, they And like you're saying, maybe there's something to the Maesters where, you know, they've known that there's this cure to, the, to grayscale. They just don't want to do it because of how arduous it is. Mm-hmm. So it, it could just be a number of things and – in the long run, it's not that important now no. that Jorah's cured. Like, Jorah's the only grayscale person uh, <laughs> that we that care, that we about. care about anymore because yeah. the other one got burned at the stake. Oh. <laughs> Took you a second. Now I'm sad. <laughs> <laughs> we also have Jon Snow and Danny meeting for the first time mm-hmm. at, at the recommendation of Tyrion and Melisandre. Uh, Melisandre hides because she knows that if Jon sees her again, she's going to be dead. Yep. She's going to get dead. And so she has a pretty nice moment with uh, Sir Davos, mm-hmm. I believe. Was it Sir Davos? No, it was um, Varys. Yeah. Yeah, Varys. Oh, um, yeah, I like that moment. Yeah, there was a really nice moment where Varys is like, hey, you, you, why aren't you going down to see your boy? And she's just like, it's complicated. Don't worry about it. And Varys says, you know, you should probably leave Westeros for – no real understanding except maybe between them because we don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's obvious reasons that we we do know, like John or Danny are going to be the leader of Westeros, and she's not going to be welcome here anymore. No, she's kind of on both of us. <laughs> it, it's it's a really nice moment, but she also kind of leaves a little bit of a prophecy saying that she has to die in this story and she mm-hmm. has to die in this strange land, just like Varys. 
So they, they allude to something for next season, at least, between the two of them. Yeah, which uh, I, I did like that moment between them because Varys and her have kind of been in this weird flux of kind of without a purpose. This, you know, they had solid purposes and now kind of seem to not know, uh, know how to utilize them. But they had a, I actually liked that they had a good moment of these two, um, these two outlying characters who were super important, have done some very, very questionable things, and now acknowledging that that their time is about over. Um, I like that. I also hope that um, with Melisandre um, acknowledging that she's going to go soon, that we also get to find out who it's from, because she made the prophecy to Arya, I believe it was season early season two, where she looked into Arya's eyes and talked about all the faces that she knew she was going to kill, and then said we'll meet again um, later in your life or something like that. I forgot about that, yeah. yeah. So I'm hoping that callback comes up and they haven't forgotten about that because, you know, maybe she has to, maybe Arya has to take her out at John's orders or she just gets in the way somehow. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff that still needs to be wrapped up in season eight. Um, one of the... The biggest fan moments for the show this season was John and Danny finally meeting, mm-hmm. which obviously that didn't go as planned. Tyrion expected him to bend the knee. He wasn't expecting him to be the king of the North. <laughs> um, but one of the things that I've found very curious about this entire season was that no one really questioned why John was no longer at the wall. It's true. Um, I did like the moment of the meeting, which is like, you know, this is Daenerys Targaryen. 57,000 titles later and then the very just kind of John Snow King of the North <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was good but yeah no and there was a brief mention of, um, where he went where he mentioned that John was dead and John's just like yeah well, he, he said that he took a knife to the heart yeah and he was like metaphorical heart don't <laughs> or metaphorical knife to the heart don't worry about it yeah we're good we're good here I'm not dead <laughs> yeah I'm not the walking dead yeah, that does seem kind of have been brushed under the rug a little bit. I mean, I understand that, you know, John's watch is over and he killed all the people who killed him. Questionable scene, in my opinion. That, I mean, they were doing their job, literally, to kill him because he was acting like a traitor in their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no one has kind of, like, really seemed to acknowledge how he's become King of the North or why this Night Watch bastard is King of the North. Because um, in theory, as a snow, he should have to be legitimized somehow, and I don't remember anyone legitimizing him because really only Stannis would have been able to. But I think it's just because the North has kind of become its has declared itself as its own entity, so they're okay. not necessarily subservient to the laws of the land anymore. They can make up their own laws, and they're like, "We're gonna follow John because we're fickle." Yep. Yeah, I just always found that a little weird because I'm still I'm still hoping um, Sansa, in my opinion has a little more legitimate claim being that she is well a legitimate child she had you know she's a stark but also with the majority of the uh, the Tully's dead she's the oldest living Tully and then she also has should in theory still be recognized as uh, Ramsay Bolton's ex-wife despite how she killed him <laughs> <laughs> so in theory she should have those households underneath her but they kind of went with John which which they went with John and I can understand why she's a little irked about that. But no, there was no real, how are you King of the North? Why are you King of the North? Aren't you supposed to be on a wall? Yeah, they, they just kind of stopped talking about it for some yeah. reason. And it, that, that, that kind of bugged me, but 
again, as far as the end game of the story, it doesn't really impact anything. Not too much, no. I mean, he, his best, one of his best friends are now the Lord Commander of the Wall that, or the Night's Watch that he was at. Yep. So you just say we pardoned him. He's he he's good. He did went above and beyond his service, and you could just be vague about it. It, it doesn't leave much. Yeah. Um, but that kind of bugged me. But the the meeting of John and Danny for the first time was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was also right after he had found out from Sam that Dragonstone was literally built on a mountain of dragon glass. Right, yes. And that was why he had to go personally instead of sending a messenger or just Davos in, in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it definitely shows John's character because he's the one that has to go do this because reasons. And, and it's, it's showing where Sansa is trying to prevent the, the Lords of the North from already betraying John from being their king for I, I don't even know <laughs> the show has jumped around so much this season could have taken place in a year could have taken place in three weeks I don't even know anymore uh, but it, it just the the Lords and like you said I think Sansa has a better claim and I think she she is doing the right thing so far yeah by not just being like I'm the queen um, she's she's being loyal to her family or at least what she assumes is her family yeah. and being a good lady of Winterfell she's not just being self-serving she's trying to do what's best for the north yeah I think that the the north is um, definitely a little fickle mostly because anytime someone from the north goes to the south they lose their head um, literally <laughs> metaphorically <laughs> so yeah the king of the north should be in the north but I understand why he went south and he has to get you know he's still at this point in the end game of the last like uh, thirteen episodes, unbelievably, he is still really the only one who knows that the White Walkers are out there. You know, Sansa doesn't seem to really care. The North doesn't seem to kind of care. The Night's Watch does definitely care. The Wildlings definitely care, but you know, it's trying to trying to explain that hey i have to go south because something even norther than us is going to come is mm-hmm. they're like and <laughs> king of the north is supposed to be king of the north we'll find another king give us five minutes <laughs> yeah um so the going back to the casterly rock raid that was uh, very interesting mostly because of when we find out that jamie actually is not there defending casterly rock because casterly rock is broke they're invading Highgarden, which Highgarden isn't expecting it. And Elena Martell is just like, that scene bothered me because I get Elena Martell is vengeful and she just wants as many Lannisters and Lannister men to die. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, she seems pretty content to die. And that scene just seems like she should have just said, lay down your swords, let them come. Save as many of the Highgarden lives as she could. Yeah, that... That interaction kind of uh, bothered me because it seemed like a just wrapping up plot. Um, um, it, they were wrapping up basically the last tangents of the Dorn plot, and did we even care anymore at that point? Um, you know, they killed. They have Yara in prison. They have the. Uh, I always forget her name. Sand. She's sand. Uh, yeah, they have the sand. Um, sand snakes. They have the sand snakes all killed except for one. They have their mother. They have the mom. So. I, which by the way, to go back to that, the scene where she poisons the daughter to die in front of her, I love, because that shows just how twisted Cersei was. Mm-hmm. But 
I get that you're just wrapping up, but and I do love the interaction with Jamie and Elena, but it just seemed a little. Let's just wrap this up. We're gonna have a bit of a fight, so we can show that there was a little bit of a struggle, and then we're gonna have this great character interaction followed by forlornly staring out a window while I die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the conversation between Jamie and Elena was great. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like there could have been a lot more done with it just because Elena raises a great point where she says, I'm a dying woman at this point. What? Who better to talk to than me about your secrets? Yeah. And Jamie gives her a few things here and there and basically acknowledges the fact that he is in love with Cersei mm-hmm. and that they have done whatever. And then she lays the bomb that she was the one that killed Joffrey. Mm-hmm. And at this point, she's already drank the poison that killed John Aaron at the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and so she just goes full on, uh, just goes off on this tirade and just says, let Cersei know it was me. And it's great. It's a great moment. And yeah. you can just see it in Jamie's face where he's like, damn it. <laughs> yep, I let her off too easy. I promise, you know, I convinced Cersei to let me kill you peacefully, and now you're just taking it back. Which, that was one of the great character moments. It really showed, I mean, um, that Jamie's actor can act, and that Elena, we all know she can act. She's amazing. But it, it, we, I wish there was a few more great moments like that to stagger throughout this episode of, like, letting the, uh, of, well, this season, letting the characters just breathe with each other and get to know each other a little bit better. Like, um, and coming up in the next episode or two, we're not going to get that, which is really disappointing. Yeah. Um, when we get to the big dragon battle. Yeah. <laughs> the, the first time we see Tyrion and Jamie together, which actually happens after the big dragon battle. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we can just talk on that pretty quickly. That episode pretty much did nothing but get to the dragons. Yep. Um, that episode just dragged and just set up everything coming after it. Shortest episode <clears throat> they've ever filmed, which was like 48 minutes or 50 minutes. And time. probably 15 or 20 minutes of it was the the attack of the dragon on the, the caravan, which you when you start really picking up on Hollywood screenwriting, like you know something something's coming when the important stuff is mentioned right away in a scene. Our, the gold that we just took from Highgarden, it, it's already past our border. We're good. Yep. Like, oh, it's already, okay, so it's, how is it 10 miles ahead of us or wherever we're at? It's good. It's <laughs> yeah, we're, we're good. Okay, well, it, something bad's about to happen. There is nothing here at all but some <laughs> corn and uh, some you know, wine, and that's it. You, <laughs> just, you, you just need Officer Bar Brady in the background. Move along, people. Nothing mm. to see here. <laughs> and Danny just, she snapped at one point, and she just decides she's going to go burn everyone alive in, in this caravan because yep. uh, this is her counteract to having Grey Worm and her Unsullied trapped at Casterly Rock, which that never actually gets resolved. Like, no. all of a sudden, Grey Worm's there in the finale. Yeah. But how did they get out of there from Euron's fleet? Yeah, the, the only thing I will say is I did like the interaction between um, between Tyrion and you know, Jamie trying to, like, kind of, like, educate her on how to be a nice person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and her solution was, like, fine, I won't kill the peasantry. I will just kill everybody outside the walls and show them my dragons. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I liked watching the battle. I think that was pretty cool. I do have some logistical questions. Like, so your fleet has been sacked at Dragonstone. Your fleet was 
sacked again at Casterly Rock, but somehow you moved 100,000 Dothraki and their horses across the bay <laughs> without anybody being aware of it so they can charge gloriously the pikemen. <laughs> um, okay, I'm not sure if all of that. I mean, Travel it, by map. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it was great, but then that ending just yeah. takes me off because I was there were so many good moments where I'm like expecting, okay, this is Jamie's death. This is glorious. Jamie or Bron or Bron. Yeah. Jamie dying, trying to take out Daenerys or Jamie dying, trying to take out dragon or Bron going down gloriously who we've seen transitioning from a Tyrion soul sword friend to, you know, confidant to Jamie's confidant and friend to then, you know, being denied a castle, by Jamie right uh, right before all this break fighting happens, mm. and then instead he tackles him into the deepest river bank I've ever seen in my life. And, okay. and that's how the episode ends: is Jamie just plummeting to this very deep, the bottom of this very deep river. Yeah. And it just yeah it, I don't I don't know because the episode ends oh shit what's gonna happen how is he gonna get out of there and in true season seven form the ep- the next episode begins with. Bronn just dragging him out of the water. Mm-hmm. We get that Bronn doesn't wear armor. It's It was established very early in season one that he doesn't wear armor because it makes him slow. And yep. it, it, it it may stop things from happening, but you can also stop them from happening by being faster. Yeah. And so he, he somehow got to the other end of the riverbank, dragging Jamie, found Jamie, and dragged him back, even though we didn't see Bronn anywhere around him. Yeah. And so, Jamie in full armor with full gold hand. Dragged across the riverbank. Okay. Yeah, and that's not the last time we'll we'll see something like this in this season. That was also the same episode. This the episode where Bron drags Jamie out uh, is the episode where John is finally let go from Dragonstone to go up north to get a White Walker. Yes. The yeah, that was the big plot development of that one was trying to convince uh, Danny that White Walkers exist, and then. That was also, I believe, when Arya showed up to um, Winterfell. Arya showed up to Winterfell, and they had that lovely, brief, comical interaction with the guards of whether or not she's actually Arya Stark, and then she sneaks in, and then I believe that's also when we saw the fighting between her and Brienne. Yeah, and that's that's kind of where all the weird Sansa shit starts too. Yeah. Uh, they once Arya showed up, Sansa's story just became very convoluted and very hard to read which i think might have been the point Mm -hmm. but at the same time you need to leave a a few hints here and there because if if we don't understand what the character is thinking we don't know how to react to her and in this scenario where gray worm is being the devil in her ear and we don't know what the angel is saying Mm -hmm. we don't know what what's going on in her mind because we know she's tortured we know she's kind of damaged because of her experiences over the over the course of the, the show but we we didn't know until the very end what was going on, and we don't even know how she got to that conclusion. No, they um, they mentioned uh, I think it was um, Sir Bronze, no, not Sir Bronze, um, Bran's actor mentioned that there was a conversation between the two of them that was cut out. That they I don't think he said they ever filmed it, which is also reminds me that Sir Bronze mentioned that there was this interaction. There's this interaction with Jamie and him and Tyrion and Tyrion, um, 
have them kind of briefly catching up of like, hey, I haven't seen you in like four years. Hey, yeah, it's nice. <laughs> so you're hanging out with my brother now. That's cool. You know, that kind of thing um, that was also cut out. So there just seems that there was some plans that were just left on the floor. So Jamie, you know, Jamie returns back to Cersei with, yeah, everything got burned down. Tyrion's alive. <laughs> Sansa's doing some stuff. I don't know, it just, it just was another, episode five was just another kind of rest episode that its big ending was, let's all go north and catch ourselves a, a White Walker. Well, I remember <laughs> that episode also started off in a way that you were not a fan of because Danny's whole thing is she's going to break the wheel and she's not going to yeah. kill everyone. But the way this episode starts is join my army and fight with me oh, or yeah, die. Yeah. And that's not very un Lannister. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Where they where they where they kill Sam's parents. I mean Sam's dad and brother. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, Sam's brother's just an idiot and Tyrion's trying to talk both Danny out of killing his son as well as trying to convince the son to be like, hey, don't be an idiot. Don't end your line. Yeah. No, she's. I don't know. She doesn't have seem to be able to lead other than in the mad Targaryen manner of I have dragons now, so everything must burn. Yeah. Join yeah. me. Join me. Good. You can live. Not burn. <laughs> and then Tyrion, of course, offers for them to take the black, and that is not accepted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's there's a lot of stuff that just. They're trying to build character, but at the same time, they're reverting the character, mm-hmm. and especially with Danny, She's trying to show she's different from the Lannisters, but the only way she's different is she can burn you alive instead of lop off your head. Yeah. So that that's that's definitely still something that needs to be addressed because they they what what would differentiate Danny from Cersei if and when she takes over the the throne? Uh, so it's it's definitely obviously still up in the air how the writers are going to go i think i know how it's going to go we'll get into that when we get into season eight predictions uh, but the the travel to the white and the, the forming of the magnificent seven of east watch <laughs> so awesome that was that was pretty great uh once in the this season was seven episodes seven so at the end of the sixth episode john Travels by map from Dragonstone to get to Eastwatch. Yeah. Which, I mean, I guess Eastwatch isn't too far from Dragonstone after seeing the map. Um, but there's still a lot of stuff that happens really fast. Right. And the White Walkers are so flipping slow. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they just take their sweet-ass time. Uh, by the end of the, the sixth episode... Or no, would it be the fifth episode? It doesn't matter. Yeah. By the end of the, one of the episodes, John and his team of uh davos uh barrick barrick thoros tormund um robert's bastard uh gedrick gedry gedry gendrick gedry gendry gendry whatever his name is yeah it starts with a g and it ends with a dree um and a couple other guys walk out from the wall all badass you know flying v formation and then the next episode kicks off, and they've got like twenty red shirts with them. <laughs> yeah, don't forget. Yeah, apparently they picked up some some or something. They never explained that. But yeah, while that's happening back at Winterfell, dramas ensuing. That's where uh, Sansa and Arya play the game of faces briefly with the bag. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which yeah. leads to nothing. Something, nothing. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, none of it matters really. It, it seems like Arya's 
playing Sansa, like basically just trying to get her face so she can be the Lady of Winterfell. I was really hoping that that when Arya said that, like maybe I'll take your face, I'm like, please, <laughs> come on, do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it just all that stuff just made no sense to me. Like they have this really nice reunion and they're talking about their dad, and all of a sudden they're just at each other's throats because Littlefinger is whispering in Sansa's ear and playing Arya for some reason. Um, just because he, he can't help himself? I don't know. No, he's lost all motivation since basically season six. They just keep him around to keep him around. They keep him around to be a creep. <laughs> basically. Um, so, he, yeah, they they do something with Arya and Sansa to build up some drama. And then John. I think that was the episode prior when John walks out with his Magnificent Seven. Yep. And then in the finale, we get Littlefinger getting called out for all of his lies because... I'll let you 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 tell your joke. It's great. What? Where he streams, he's he decided to binge watch all of the episodes. <laughs> oh God, yeah, God, I hate that. I love that. Yeah, apparently, apparently, Brand's uh, apparently Brand's motivation to do anything this uh, season was that he binge watched the season from he binge watched Game of Thrones from the beginning and was like, holy crap, we're in trouble. <laughs> Uh, I, just, I don't know. Obviously, I don't think you came up with that joke. No, it God, no. Is internet, just made me laugh. Yeah, it's a great internet joke where Bran just binge-watched uh, all of the previous seasons. And he's like, hey, I have some misinformation for you. Yeah. Uh, that's also the episode where Sam is rewriting out a bunch of the old journals and Gilly's off reading something, and they drop a massive bomb on us that I think that was a big detriment to the finale. Yes. Um We'll talk about the bomb afterward, but yeah. Gilly lays out uh, a big bomb like two episodes before they actually do anything about it, and it just Brand doesn't have this information just yet for reasons, Apparently. For dramatic reasons, and they call out Littlefinger for all of his lies because Brand is three-eyed raving, three-eyed ravening uh, uh, back to season one of Game of Thrones where and. This scene bothered me only because Littlefinger has made a gigantic living on his lies. And all of a sudden, Bran just calls him out on three of them. And he's just like, yeah, okay, I did it. You caught me somehow. Yeah, what I understand about his motiv- Littlefinger's motivation since basically season six is that his motivation has always been, well, seemed to be that he was in love with, uh, with Cat Stark. And, you know, that's part of the reason why he kept trying to he assist Sansa help her bring her about help her survive the court with um, Joffrey eventually you know got her away from that stuff got her to the Vale I don't know I'm still kind of confused as to why he married her off to Ramsay Bolton I mean was his intel that bad that Ramsay Bolton was an asshole (laughs) (laughs) I don't know Um, but then ever since then there's been a lack of motivation as part why isn't he hanging out in the the Vale why isn't he taking care of the Tully kid. Why is he just walking around Winterfell, whispering and doing nothing? I mean, he did have the big moment in season six where um, he and all his Knights of the Vale came and saved John's life. Yay! Purpose fulfilled. Yeah, purpose fulfilled. What is the point of him now other than to linger around and whisper at her? I mean, was he? I wish they would have done something like proposed marriage between them to unite the Vale uh, tonight, uh, the Vale and. and the Starks together and formally do a union. Something motivation other than 
we should probably kill off your sister and John, if you can manage it, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, and then, as you said, he got briefly caught on his lies. A teenager decided to shout random catchphrases, <laughs> and he begs for his life and loses it. And, yeah, and then Arya slits his throat. It, it was a very staged scene. Mm-hmm. Arya shows up, like, armored to the nines, as she does. She's got needle in one hand and then the Valerian dagger on the other hip. And they just, it, it, again, it's another very cliched moment where if you, you don't expect it, it you're going to be like, what? Yeah. But you, you can see the way it's staged and the way the camera angles are holding that, oh, they're going to accuse Littlefinger. Yeah. And it just. They are crimes and treasons and backstabbery and blah, 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 blah. Littlefinger. Yeah. Peter Baelish. Mm-hmm. And it, it, that scene didn't play well with me just because again he he admits to everything too quickly and too easily it it just doesn't play right and all the star kids are like well he he basically got scooby-dooed yep and it just (laughs) (laughs) would have gotten away if it weren't for those star kids if it weren't for that three-eyed raven kid (laughs) so it that that part just kind of but yeah i agree if if peter if they had peter say hey sansa you know if we got married wouldn't that be crazy? You know, yeah. just doing like drunk girl talk or something. Something other than trying to badly play with the sister off, which I still don't understand why he's just hanging around, hanging around. Yeah, I, I mean, the, I, the veil is on the other side of the continent. He should be holed up there chilling or with his military or something. Instead, he's just creeping about. I feel like the motivation was he was trying to get Sansa to mm-hmm. maybe be the one to propose it. I don't know if there's anything to really support that, but I think that may, might have been his game. Is he was trying to eventually get her to say, "I need to form a, a, I need to marry for an alliance. You have an army. You have the veil. Let's do this." Uh, but they never actually get to saying that. No. Um, I did appreciate the fact that Arya knows her sister well enough that when they were playing their little game of like, "What do they get out of this?" Uh, when she was talking with Baelish about, you know why would Arya be talking about cutting off my face? And he says, I like to play a game. What's the worst thing that they could ever do? Yeah. They could kill me. Well, why would they do that? Right. Because they want to become, because Arya would want to become Lady of the Veil. And Arya has said multiple times, she's not a lady. Yeah. And they just, I, I like, I appreciate the fact that she, that Sansa realized that. Yeah. And that's how they were able to play Scooby-Doo Baelish. <laughs> <laughs> And so I, I appreciated that, but again, that they, they could have just done it in a better way. Yeah, there was nothing to suggest that they had been either that their motivation was either to play him and or that they were figuring each other out. But there was nothing because that's you know, of course, a bunch of internet boards were like, "Oh, he got played. They've been playing him for like three episodes." And I'm like, "How do we know that?" There was never any suggestion that. They were like, you know, like yelling at each other, and then like one of them's like, it's in the corner, right? Yeah, okay, go, keep going for like five minutes. Okay, now you threaten me, you threaten me. You know, there was nothing to suggest. Witty that. banter, witty banter. Exactly. There was nothing to suggest that they were gaming each other or gaming somebody other than Arya's acting a little psychotic, Sansa's acting a little Sansa y. <laughs> and suddenly they came to an agreement that I like my face. I'll kill that guy. 
Well, I mean, again, I, I feel like it's slightly implied that maybe Bran showed up and said, hey, my Bran just stopped being weird for five seconds. Like, hey, guys, I kind of know what happened to our parents. We This guy did it. Let's get him. Yeah. Even, but, like, he, <laughs> Bran just... Brand just served no purpose this season other than to be weird. Yeah, no. He, um, since we're already pretty much into the seventh episode, um, yeah, he was just nothing but um, an exposition machine. And I find it really weird that the very end of season uh, of episode seven, the whole Danny and John have decided to get together kind of thing, and John's gonna bend the knee, and they're gonna be in a boat together. And the and that the revelation of that John is actually the true that he actually is a Targaryen that he's the true heir of the um, Iron Throne that it was that he was used to be like no no John's not a bastard you know I mean John is a bastard but he's a different bastard and then and then Sam goes oh yeah no he's not he that marriage was annulled and Bran's like what since when and he's like. Oh, let me go check out a different part of the timeline. Yeah. I, this is relevant information that I would have never discovered on my own, but I can jump back in time and find out exactly when, um, exactly when Peter Baelish decided to say to various um, chaos is a ladder. You know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And All right. Apparently, your radar is a little off. And among other things, he 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 has seen and heard the John's birth. Yes. And he's heard Lyanna Stark say his name is Aegon Targaryen. Yes. What would make him think that saying his name is Aegon Targaryen means he's a bastard? Right. Why would well I mean she would have pronounced his name as, you know, Aegon Snow or something. Aegon Sand. Sorry, right? Sand, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, well I mean Yeah. You never know. Well they're in Dorne, so it'd be sand. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, there was nothing I mean, it was a moment we've all known has been coming for a long time. He confirms the theory of who is, of who, who John's true heritage and who heritage is. It um, exonerates Ned as being truly the most honest, wonderful man in all of Westeros because he did not have an illegitimate child. <laughs> That's how good Sean Bean is. <laughs> he takes care of other people's illegitimate children. Well, they were legitimate. Well, oh, well, sorry. He, he was legitimate. Sorry. Right. He's willing to protect legitimate children from everybody by putting them through hell but of course you know he would have been murdered on the spot by yeah. robert oh robert would have killed him yeah cersei would have somebody would have mm -hmm. um, but yeah this is the moment that was ruined two episodes prior because gilly mentions that aegon had his marriage annulled or not aegon rhaegar had his yeah. marriage annulled and uh, we're sitting on this information for two episodes and then Bran, like all it does is make bran look like a dumbass for five seconds yeah and part of me did that part of that did bother me just a little bit in that um it was sam who came in and because it continues to not give gilly anything to do yeah <laughs> you know she could have had her like darning in a corner or something like that and go like mm -hmm. Wait a second, my name's familiar, you know, something other than Sam bursting in with, I have relevant information to this. I transcribed this. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, the, the, those are the the main plot elements. And then we also have the Battle of the White Walkers mm -hmm. where John and his Magnificent Seven <clears throat> get attacked by an ice polar bear or a, a white polar bear. Not literally a uh, – not, not visually white, <laughs> but like W-I-G-H-T, like a White right. Walker polar bear. <laughs> 
and the Thoros gets mortally wounded. Essentially, uh, he loses a lot of blood. They seal it with one of their flaming swords. Which that flaming sword, uh, that that disappointed me so much. Like visually, it's cool, but if you've not read the books, uh, the second book starts off with Stannis doing his flaming sword bit and the with the with Melisandre and the Lord of Light, and they're talking about how there's this flaming sword, and. Uh, I think Thoros or one of the other guys eventually talks about how that's not a flaming sword. That was a sword on fire. <laughs> yeah. And they just, the the teaser trailer has Thoros, or not Thoros, what's the other guy? Eyepatch guy. Oh, dang it. Um, Eyepatch guy, that's his name. Yep. He, he just like tucks the sword and it ignites. And I'm like, holy shit, yes, we're finally getting the flaming sword. Exactly. No, they just have their swords like doused in oil or something and they ignite it. It's like, oh, that's a bit of a, Pain. That's not. There's no payoff there. I was it's hoping cool. that they, it, it's it's cool, and I mean they use it to good effect. They use it to cauterize Thoros's. Uh, I don't know why I know Thoros's name. But maybe it's because his name is Thor, and <laughs> just add an os at the end. Um, but they use it to cauterize his wound, and then he dies of hypothermia because of all the blood loss. And they apparently used it to keep warm for two they, days. They they, they burn him, yeah, and then uh, all because the hound gets impatient and chucks a rock. Uh, the White Walkers realize that the ice has frozen over, and however long it took, yeah. Uh, they they, and then the the Battle of the Whites against John starts. Um, which again they're they're trying to get one White Walker, <laughs> so they can have proof to Cersei that uh, the White Walkers exist and that they can have this um, armistice to, you know, have this war beyond the wall, and not just continue to fight each other and be blocked off which again danny has three dragons yeah you know why can't she just fly those dragons over and circle a few times yeah Yeah, um six seven times (laughs) and in this process the night king pulls out uh an ice javelin or an ice harpoon and he kills apparently Viserion. uh because if it's not drogan we don't know which one it is at this point right for some reason he um they have captured they have captured a uh, a white and they've been holding on this little island that they have because the ice broke at one point, And they're surrounded by literally what appears to be 10,000 strong and the Night's King. And they've been kind of waiting this out. The ice refreezes. The battle begins again. Danny rides in. And he decides to... Which, this does bother me rewatching that scene because I rewatched it yesterday. Danny circles around with Dragoon once or twice, burns him off, and lands... Mm-hmm. And people will, like start crawling on him, the, the the back of him, and like moving towards him, while the other two are circling and burning. Yeah. Why did he throw it in the air? Why didn't he just throw it right at the <laughs> the, the, the cast? Because of seven? it can't be Drogon. Well, this, there's a cast of seven people right there, right in front of him, and he instead goes, "That one, that one." Like I got this. I mean, he figures out, you know, all the the variables to take out that one, but the one that's... Right there, stationary. <laughs> stationary, with some main characters on top of him, he doesn't take Well, out. I mean, you could also take that with, why did he stand on that ledge for how many hours or days and not hit him with one of their javelins? True. I mean, there, there's a bunch of different plot holes in that moment. Um, but, I mean, I think the main one is he understood the poetic justice of, like, that one. Yeah. That one's named after her asshole brother that <laughs> abused her and possibly raped her and sold her. Yeah. That one I want. I did. Uh, that scene, I mean, the, the bat, uh, you know, other than there is criticisms about the plot and decisions, but 
they really invested a lot of money on the battles this season. And, mm-hmm. you know, the ship battles were pretty cool, even though kind of at night and blurry. And they were happening uh, in the background, essentially. Yeah, something was happening. Um, the big battle outside of King's Landing with the dragons was really cool, a good investment. The, the episode was really invested with all the stuff with the Wyatts, and then the dragon showed up. And the death of that dragon was pretty pretty amazing because he hits it while it's spinning fire so then the fire fluid sacks burst mm-hmm. while he's spinning to the ground and then he crashes and he slides across the ice and the fluids are gushing the dragon's dying dragon sinks cracks the ice and slumps into the water and they take off and it's like oh that was actually really beautifully done and it does have an impactful moment of like dragon number b because <laughs> dragon's an important one is dead and it's really sad and then Danny, of course, gets upset and is sad because that's her children. And John comforts her in the weirdest way. Oh, after being miraculously saved from the water. And also by uh, Uncle Benjamin. Oh, yeah. By his I've, been, uncle. I've been looking for you for three years, Uncle Benjamin. Thanks for saving my life in this deus, deus ex machina kind of way. Yeah. Thank you for saving my life. I know I've plunged, been out here for two or three days on this snowy ice and I've just plunged through the water and... I've gotten out, and you've saved me. I'd really like to talk to you, but I'm going to borrow your horse. Please stay here and die. <laughs> Pretty much. And my question is, does Uncle Benjamin become a white? Oh, I hope so. Or is it because he's stuck in between, he just can die? I don't know. It's a, it's a question I want to have answered pretty quickly. Um, and then, yeah, John offers to bend the knee, and he and Danny have a really awkward moment, considering she's his aunt. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, they, they take the white that they were successfully able to save, which I, I think the, how they got him on Drogon is great, where they just impaled him on one of his spikes. That was beautiful. I thought that was awesome. That was a nice touch. It, because obviously if, if he's loose, he's just going to wiggle free. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was a nice touch. Uh, and then they, they bring the white to Cersei, and that moment was really weird too because the box is quiet that they have him in, and then the hound like taps it. And it freaks out and it jumps. Yeah. And then the hound is literally lugging it upstairs in the dragon pits outside of King's Landing and not a peep. And you yeah. could, like, if this was Cinema Sins, they would be like, oh, this white has a great sense of dramatic timing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was just, I mean, the, the bulk of the last episode was. Figuring was you know what is everybody going to do now? Actually, the seventh episode is probably my, is this, despite the way it ended, is probably my favorite part of the season because it lets a lot of character interaction happen. It really sets the stakes for the last, from for the last six episodes whenever we get them. There was you know good moments between uh, Jamie and Cersei. There's good moments between Tyr- uh, Tyrion and Cersei. There was good interactions between all the characters. The Hound and Brienne had a moment. Um, there's a lot of little moments that are actually allowed to happen as we're allowed to breathe and figure out, you know, as everybody now catches up and is like, oh, these things are actually real. We have evidence. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. This is the truth. That This is what's coming across the wall. This is what we have to do. And they actually allowed the characters to interact with each other in a pleasant manner. That was satisfying. Other than some weird moments, like why did the white lunge at Cersei out of everybody there. <laughs> I think he was just heading in a straight line. Like oh, okay. they, they just he he has no leader, so he's just like straight line, go. Yeah. But the, someone pointed out to me that the uh, 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 that the mountain um, didn't move at all when that happened. Like hmm. yeah, I, I, I 
I went to re- look for that moment when I rewatched it yesterday, but I missed it again because he, someone says like when it lunges, like people have moved towards her before when he's become you know zombie mountain, but um, when he but when the white heads towards him, he does nothing. Hmm. Which I, and I was like, huh. Which that's a cool little touch if that's true because you know it's just the dead seeing the dead or something. Yeah, like that. yeah. That's interesting. And when I when I saw them like lop off the the white's arm. Um, well, when they just kicked over the thing and he walked out, I, I was like, uh, uh, Kyburn is just going to love this thing mm-hmm. with the way he, with the way he obviously manipulated the mountain. Um, and then he, like the arm gets lopped off and the first thing he does is he goes and picks it up and it's yeah. moving and he's just like, wow, this is he amazing. Like that. Yeah. You know, cause that creeper, you, you can tell he, 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 he's like, how can I do this? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it, there's, there are a lot of great moments, um, the moment with Cer- Cersei and Tyrion, or the scene, not just the yeah. moment, uh, is really interesting just because of the way it cuts out. She f- he finds out she's pregnant, and then it ends. Like, that's it. So we don't know what happened after that and what was said to get her to come back to this meeting. Yeah, that was a little weird. Um, it seemed like they should have allowed a few more beats or that, I don't know, that they're like, well, we'll fit this in season eight somehow. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it has to be something that's going to come back in season yeah. eight. Uh, so that's that's kind of where the show really leaves off. We find out that Cersei is not actually planning on honoring the armistice. She's gonna let them let Danny and her army go north, and then she's gonna take everything back south. Yep. And she's also got the the Iron Bank backing her. Euron Greyjoy pretends to freak out over the White Walkers, but he's actually going to get the the army mm-hmm. uh, of the Sellswords. And John and Danny hook up, creating super awkward moments because. As my wife can tell you, I was just like, John, don't do it. Please don't. I thought I I was hoping that throughout the entire season when they were just giving them those longing looks and mm-hmm. those awkward long scenes together with silence and just looking at each other. I was really just hoping that they were just going to end up just being like, we can't do this. We're in the middle of a war. We can't do this. Right. And then they find out and they're like, oh, thank God we didn't do that. Yep. Nope. Nope. Yeah. There's... There's going to be an illegitimate child that Probably. is three quarters Stark carrying one quarter Stark, yeah. and John's going to have a uh, cousin son, and Danny's going to have a second cousin son or something like that, yeah. a nephew son. Uh, yeah. yeah, nephew son. It just it's no good. No, we all got their love making to the dulcet tones of Brand talking. <laughs> <laughs> As a three-eyed raven. Yeah. So season seven ends with incest. Um, Would it really end any other way no, with Game of Thrones? No. Uh, mil- uh, military heading north, Jamie among them, because I actually did like that Jamie finally realized Cersei is just nuts. Well, it's it's. I don't even think that it's it's she's nuts. I think it's that he's realized that she doesn't have any honor where at the beginning of the series, he didn't really care about honor. Um, But through his experiences with Brienne and losing his hand and uh, just his his experiences and travels that he's had, even, even in his talks with uh, Bronn, Mm -hmm. he's, he's matured and he's kind of discovered that uh, there is a place in this world for honor, even among, even in the game of Thrones. Right. And I think that he's realized that she has no honor. She just cares about herself and the, those closest to her. And he doesn't think that he's one of those people anymore. So he's going to go honor that and give Danny a heads up like, hey, 
please don't kill me, but my sister is not planning on honoring this. Yeah. Uh, so season eight predictions. Let's go with that. I'll let you start. So these are predictions slash hopes. Um, <laughs> one, please, please kill off 90% of the quote-unquote main characters. We haven't really had a shocking or unexpected death since, I don't know, maybe season five. They killed off the Dornish plotline. They killed, you know, they've killed off Littlefinger, but he had it coming for a long time. I would like to see Sansa, Arya, John, Cersei, Tyrion, someone who is someone big or, you know, majority of them go. I was hoping Braun might be one, but he's obviously protected by fan favorite plot armor. Brienne is somehow protected because I I swear if they put Tormund and her together. Oh, they're going to they're going to make their monster movies. I <laughs> love the Hound's interaction with it. But my my main predictions for this next six episode is I do think that Cersei is pregnant. I don't think she's going to carry the child to term though. Uh, I agree. I think that's gone. Um, I do think Danny the whole Danny saying, "Oh, the dragon on my children. I can't have any." That's that's, that's obviously garbage. BS. That's because, that's garbage. Yeah. Um, I think maybe it's possible that the whole prince's promise thing may actually be their kid. I don't know why, but for some reason, I'm like, "Oh, she ends up pregnant. Maybe it's uh, maybe that's the prince. I don't know. I think I would like to see coming out of." out of this is i want to see cersei get it and i hope it's aria i think that maybe john um jamie going north since jamie's on her list uh, aria's list i think isn't he on her list i can't remember he probably is like all the yeah because yeah because there was like that uh, interaction where like he was briefly at the uh at the greater joys um the phrase and there was that servant making eyes with him and turns out it was secretly mm-hmm. aria I think he's on the list. I'm hoping that he goes north, does some good things, she kills him. <laughs> and then she goes back to Cersei wearing Jamie's face and mm. Arya fulfills the the little the the younger sibling. Um, you'll be killed by the little brother. Yeah. yeah. By it ha- being her wearing Jamie's face that takes her out. Hmm. Um, I'd like to see Sansa um, as Queen of the North. I think she's earned it at this point. I'm still not a fan of her character. Um, never really been, but I like to see her screen the North, and I'm hoping that I'm. Oh, here's a prediction I hope doesn't happen. Bran, as the Three Eyed Raven, better not ward into the Ice Flying Dragon and take it over, because that's just gonna drive me nuts. <laughs> because that's way too convenient. That's way too the whole like, oh, he has this unstoppable flying dragon now, that take that took down the wall, and then. No, we'll defeat it with the power of warding and my <laughs> predictions and stuff. Um, I do want to see some glorious battles in the north of the of the White Walkers against all this military. And when it all wraps up, I'm thinking Sansa's king of uh, queen of the north, or at least knowledge is warden of the north. I hope Tyrion's on the throne. I would hope my dream would be Tyrion and, and Sansa on the throne because Tyrion's the only level-headed one that's left even though they've made him kind of boring he's level-headed and he's still married to Sansa because I don't think they ever annulled that 
or maybe they did. I think they you know, did because that's how he was able. She was able to be married off to Ramsay. Oh yeah. Well, that's because he was a traitor, but he's not. You know, <laughs> because he, you know, he killed these people. He killed Joffrey, but he didn't. So I'm hoping maybe that rearranges and that it sounds on Tyrion, and because he's the only one who treated her with respect and dignity. So the two of them are on the throne. John and Danny somehow die, move off together somewhere. That's my dream. I want to see Arya. So that's basically my two big, my, my two big, my three big hopes. Sansa and Tyrion on the throne. Somehow that works out. Uh, Bran better not warg into something. And Arya takes Jamie's face and kills her. <laughs> so there's my there's my six episodes. You can fill out add a fighting incest and something in there. <laughs> so. I agree. I don't think uh, Cersei's carrying the baby to term because she has that prophecy over her head that she's going to have three kids. I do think Jamie is going to be the one that has to kill her. Mm-hmm. I think he will be king and queen slayer Ooh. because I think it's poetic justice that he kind of helped create this monster and now he has to be the one to put her down. Yeah. Uh, I do think we'll get the Clegane Bowl. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes. Although yes, there, yes. Are, there are people that are speculating that the hound is no longer the one that's meant to kill him because he says something to the effect of um, you've always known who's coming to get you. Mm-hmm. And so people are thinking maybe it's not the hound. I think that Sansa will become lady of the North unquestioned. And sh- I think she'll be warden and lady. I don't think she'll have to marry anyone. She'll get to choose if she wants to. Uh, she'll be the first lady to rule Winterfell. Nice. And then I think John becomes a reluctant king of the seven, seven, nine? Yeah, seven. Seven, nine, I'm thinking Thor with nine. Uh, king of the seven realms. Uh, I think he becomes a reluctant ruler with either Tyrion or Davos as his hand. Mm. And I think he just, I think he's going to hate it. Yeah. And he's going to, it's going to be a kind of a bittersweet ending because I think, I don't know if Danny's going to survive. I don't think it's her place to and I think it creates a really awkward situation of having a nephew and aunt uh, ruling the seven kingdoms together so I think that John becomes a reluctant ruler and at the end of it I do buy into this theory that Tyrion mm-hmm. um, which we haven't we didn't discuss this at all but Tyrion has this really awkward moment where he's lingering in the hallway when John and Danny decide to bunk up yep 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 and there's a theory out there that says he wants he's obsessing over her heir because he wants to create a democracy or a Hmm. republic interesting and i I buy into that i think he wants to get rid of the monarchy and all that so that the people have a voice Mm -hmm. and it's not just one person deciding what's right for everyone playing their game of thrones it's a republic vote with representatives voted for by the people and I, I, I like that theory a lot, and I think that's where John will end up. He'll be a reluctant ruler for a while until they can establish the Republic, and then he'll get a happy ending uh, traveling north where they're having spring for the first time. Uh, so that might also play into the Viserys and Missalinger thing where she was all, where she was all, our time of whispering in King's ears is over. Or yeah. Or something like that. Because if yeah. there's no more king, king or queen, then there's no reason for them to be lurking around pretending to be mm-hmm. who they are and, and then their right. purpose is also no longer right. needed because there's no king to support right so i think that's where the show is going to end up we'll see who's right 
that's basically it for discussion of Game of Thrones season seven. I know we missed a lot. We skipped over a lot. We jumped around a lot. But hey, so did season seven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's quite right. I mean, we didn't really miss anything that important. So some people traveled around. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> traveled by map. Exactly. So, Alex, thanks for coming on, being on the show. Um, you'll be back. One thing we're trying to do, besides obviously growing the brand of our podcast and getting more and more people to watch, watch. Uh, I mean, you could technically watch it on YouTube, but it's just going to be one big banner of our logo <laughs> right now. Um, but to listen, to kind of get to know us, to follow us, you can find us on Twitter at Talking Smack Pod. You can email us your thoughts if you have any theories that you want us to read on the air on our podcast. Uh, you can email us at tsmackpod at gmail.com. Smack is spelled S-M-A-C, superheroes, movies, animation, comics. Next week, I'm going to be talking with Scotty. We, we're going to be doing a review of Destiny 2, and plus, so we're going to be talking about all the news throughout the week. With me again is Alex. Hello, hello. And I'm Joshua Scar. Uh, Alex, are you on Twitter? No. No? I don't, don't, I don't really social media much. You don't do the tweet? No. All right. Well, you can follow me at Josh underscore Scar. Scar is spelled S-K-A-A-R, like the son of Hulk. And uh, <laughs> we appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. Uh, this is a, a big venture of mine. This is something I've wanted to do for a long time. So I hope we can keep you entertained, keep you engaged. And I just, we, did I mention C2E2? No, I didn't. No, you didn't. Okay. No. So one of the things we were trying to do <laughs> is we want to have a panel at C2E2. Um, one of the things that we have to do is we have to have episodes and we have to have a plan. We have a plan. Our plan for the panel, if we get it, would be to have all of our panelists or all of our hosts myself alex scotty lewis and a few others that are going to be on every now and then uh we're gonna do our um <laughs> our guilty pleasure movies nice. for the panel if we get in and i know a couple of people have some some great ideas and i have a couple in there that i just it's gonna kill me to have to reveal that in front of a group of people plus have to put it on the podcast and I, we're putting ourselves out there just to try and get us in this panel. And we're trying to think of a hashtag. So, again, if you have a hashtag idea for this, uh, you can email us or tweet it at us. You can tweet us at TalkingSmackPod or you can email us at TSmackPod at gmail.com. Again, smack is spelled S-M-A-C. So, again, thank you for taking the time to listen to us. This episode went a lot longer than I was planning on it originally, but there was a lot of news. And the tick is good. Watch yes. the tick. Please watch the tick. Amazon needs you know people to recognize that they actually have original shows that aren't bad <laughs> <laughs> or Golden Globe bait. Oh, exactly. But well, again, there always is the grand tour, but that's not this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but again, thank you for taking the time to listen to us. Thank you for sticking through this. Thank you for sticking through the worst first episode ever because we had to talk about spoilers for Game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, everyone have a great week, and we'll be back next week. Take care. Play the theme music.